You will never hear a leader of a manufacturing plant say, oh, the safety program isn't working. Someone died in the plant. You know, let's just toss it out. We don't need it. What they do say is, OMG, how do we fix it? So I'm looking, well, how do we get that mind shift in wellness? Welcome to the NWI podcast, brought to you by the National Wellness Institute. I'm your host, Caroline Carlson, and this is the podcast for wellness professionals and enthusiasts who want to amplify the quality of their lives in all six dimensions of wellness. Don't worry about taking notes. I'll do that for you. And you can find them at nwipodcast.org. Like what you hear? Please leave us a rating on iTunes and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is sponsored by the 2018 National Wellness Conference. The National Wellness Conference is a one-of-kind event in which wellness professionals participate in learning opportunities and intensive skill-building programs and develop networking communities. Join us June 18th through the 20th, 2018 in St. Paul, Minnesota for personal growth and renewal and experience a wellness immersion unlike any other. Registration for the 2018 National Wellness Conference is now open. Early bird rates expire February 16th, 2018. So register today at nationalwellness.org forward slash NWC. Anne-Marie Kirby is the founder and CEO of Core Health Technologies. Recognized as a leading female entrepreneur by national awards panels, Anne-Marie has been at the forefront of health and wellness innovation, leading the team in developing sophisticated corporate wellness technology that empowers the wellness innovators of tomorrow. Anne-Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Caroline. Nice to be here. So your work is, is really broad in scope and depth, just the amount of technology that you have put into your company. I have a lot of questions, as you saw. Thank you for helping me narrow them down. Oh, you're welcome. It was, it was good to narrow them down. There was so much. Well, I remember you saying that your company is not a wellness provider, but rather a technology provider that enables wellness companies and organizations to excel in their wellness programs. Please tell us a little bit about your company. Sure. Um, I, I think I'll start with me. Um, my background is as a software developer. So I am a hardcore programmer and happy to be what they call a bit flipper. So I suspect <laughs> you probably haven't interviewed a programmer. So this might be a little different. Um, but anyways, I've worked primarily in the healthcare industry for most of my career as either a software architect, a technical programmer, some kind of technical area. But personally, it was not really my favorite place to be. I got pigeonholed as a co-op student in healthcare. Um, I just can't even take a first aid course without feeling ill. So it wasn't really a good match. But as my career developed and I started to see action in the prevention area, I really watched what was going on. Um, in the hopes of someday switching out of healthcare into prevention. So 14 years ago, I actually made that move and I brought one of the other programmers with me, who's our CTO. And we started to work on something we could really have a passion about. So in order to explain core health, um, you now know it comes from technical people. So we are a tech company 
Um, and all of our customers are wellness providers. If you like to think of us as a development team, we're in the back room, we're listening to what our customers want, we code it up, we integrate it, and we deliver software to them. So Core Health is a tech company in this space. It really is a perfect collaboration. It has worked very well so far, yes, indeed. Now, you've said that your company provides a variety of services and it seems seamless plugins with third-party applications so that they can really customize and, as you say, go deep with what they want to do with their wellness programs. Correct. Yeah. And that started a few years ago as our customers were looking for best-in-class tools, and they bring us something like um, D. Eddington's, at that time he called it his self-leadership tools, and say, we'd like to use this as part of the platform. So we started to integrate based on customer requests of what they wanted to use, and then we'd offer it to other people and other groups. And now that's changed more so that people that do have these best-in-class tools are now searching us out. So we've got a constant onboarding um, process for these, what we call our network partners. So we're seeing a lot of diversity in the types of tools that, that can be now run within our platform. That's amazing. And it seems that in addition to all of your technological expertise, one of your greatest strengths really is the ability to truly listen to your clients and their needs. Yeah, that we have done a good job of that. I will admit that we do listen and we try to satisfy them, you know, sometimes a bit to our own detriment where we will knock ourselves out, maybe not manage expectations as well as we could to say this will take a long time. And so therefore, we are all working on Christmas Eve, trying to get something ready for January 1st. But I guess, you know, that too is, is part of a tech startup company where people do work those hours. But now we're getting more into the mature stage of the company. So we have better processes and we can all live with <laughs> the support that we provide. But yes, always going to our customers to find out what they need. We actually did a whole release and it's, um, I forget what we called it, but it was, what's your top one thing? And we went to each of our customers and we have about 50 different wellness companies we work with and said, what would be the top thing that you'd want if we could deliver it for you? And that's actually what we made an entire release of. Excellent. What a good question. Yeah. Um, and, well, in addition to being the founder and CEO of your company, you're also a prolific writer. Uh, you've written a number of informative industry articles, all with such a different focus. Can you tell me why your topics are so diverse? I think that does go back a bit to us being a tech company. When people come to us with problems, well, actually, we're looking for problems. Um, we're looking for things to fix, to solve. That's just our nature. God bless you. Um, <laughs> they're opportunities. So, yeah, we're constantly looking to fix and build things. We attend conferences and often the names of the topics and the talks are problems. And sometimes the entire conference name would be a problem we could solve. That's For example, true. engagement. That obviously is a big topic and we hear that in conferences. So therefore, there's some work we can do. And then as we do this work, we learn, we have some interesting experiences, both good and bad. And so it gives us something to write about. That's a very good way to look at it. That's very insightful. Now, in order to succeed, 
of course, wellness programs have to have buy-in from a company's management. So I guess we could say we really need engagement on that level too. Mm -hmm. And you've developed a tool that keeps executives informed and engaged in their internal wellness programs. What problem is that solving? Actually, I think um, we were aiming to solve a couple different problems with that. So as you mentioned, having leadership involvement and endorsement of a, a well-being program is absolutely critical to its success. Um, you know, Laura Putnam, who you've interviewed, that's mm-hmm. one of the keys that she talks about. It's a, even the most critical factor. So that is, like you say, an issue. Um, another big issue is that so many business leaders tend to focus on ROI. You've got to have return on investment or we're not doing it. But us in the industry know that that takes a lot of effort and a lot of time in order to get to that kind of wellness program. So we were seeing companies give up too early and say, oh, this isn't working, or they would change it without valid proof to change it. So it it kind of is a catch-22. So you have the the leaders that won't buy into wellness until you get the ROI, but you're not going to get the ROI until the leaders buy into wellness. Mm -hmm. So... Well, I found that to be a very interesting problem. So we started to look for other industries that would parallel wellness. And, you know, and when I say parallel, it's because you can't measure what hasn't happened. And I think that's one of the biggest problems of us providing ROI because we're preventing cost, but you can't prove it. So one of the industries that I think is very similar is safety. So we took a good look at the safety industry because now every company has safety programs built into their entire fabric of being. And we looked at, well, how do they manage that? Because honestly, you will never hear a leader of a manufacturing plant say, oh, the safety program isn't working. Someone died in the plant. You know, let's just toss it out. We don't need it. No, what they do say is, OMG, how do we fix it? So I'm looking, well, how do we get that mind shift in wellness and how do they deal with their safety programs? So we looked at the dashboards that they use. And one thing that was pretty evident is what they count is actions they've taken to make the program successful. They're not counting accidents that didn't happen or costs that didn't happen. They're counting actions they took. So how many people are trained in first aid? How many are trained in fire suppression? How many meetings did we have where we talked about safety? How many brochures did we put out or posters? You know, impressions. So we thought, well, maybe what we should do is duplicate that in wellness and give executives a very simple, straightforward dashboard that shows them easy metrics in a format they're used to. And wellness, some of the metrics that we can do very quickly, I think, is show people's happiness, their job satisfaction? Would they recommend to their friend to come and work at this employer? You know, simple things like that. If we can start showing progress really early on, then we have the buy-in from our leaders to continue it until we can get to a point where we can talk about ROI. Because after all, in most cases, it is a business and it does need ROI. But this gives a stopgap and a good way to show people they are making progress and also where they might want to put more efforts. So if they don't have enough wellness champions or they don't have executives participating in the program, these things will become evident and they can deal with them. 
Yeah, you seem to have the ability to bring a lot of clarity to these topics and how to sort them out so that companies can get the most out of their programs. Yeah, we do try to do that. Like they say, if you're not a geek, you definitely need one. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Now, it sounds too like the method that you use to give a lot of feedback to your corporate leaders in that dashboard has to do with surveys, possibly a lot of surveys of the employees and how they're reacting to what's being provided for them. Yes. Yep. Surveys, quick polls, you know, quick check-ins. They can quickly click, yes, I'm happy in my work today or this month. So that's built right into their program and then it goes to the dashboard. Yes, correct. Oh, that's terrific. Now, what about gamification? Everybody's talking these days about gamification. Can you talk about what that is and what problem that solves? That goes back to engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, gamification has been used in wellness for so many years. In fact, that was basically what gave us our start. So when Core Health started in 2004, we spent a couple years in development But our first major sale was with the Olympic Committee responsible for the um, 2010 Winter Olympics. And at the time, the premier of the province of British Columbia, his challenge was to have BC being the healthiest jurisdiction to ever host the Olympics. And that was his goal. So they set out to do a three-year program leading up to the Olympics, and they chose us to supply the software. So um, what they did is they did a province-wide activity challenge. So it was really early days, 2006, for something like that. And it was really just about gamification. It was friendly competition, leaderboards, um, rewards, instant gratification, and um, basically what you're used to nowadays. So it has been around a long time. So of course, then we start to think, well, is it going to get stale? What can we do? What is it based on? So we started to dig into what truly is game mechanics that drives this gamification fad. And we are fortunate where we're located. We have some great game studios. And are you familiar with Club Penguin? Disney's online. Yes, Um, my my children like that. Yeah, anyone that has children is familiar with that. Well, it was designed in the same city we're located in. Uh, So, yeah, a couple of the founders have gone off and started their own game studios. And we were fortunate enough to partner up with one called Hyper Hippo, who was started by a game designer. And we learned a lot about game mechanics. You know, there's really four keys to game mechanics or to making successful games and life. And that is having satisfying work. And it doesn't have to be real. That's why games work online. It could be pretend work. People have to feel that they're being successful. They have to have social connection. And then they also have to have meaning and purpose. And you'll notice that these are all things you hear about a lot in the wellness industry as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Vic Strucker talks about purpose is everything in a wellness program. So all of these pieces make total sense to be part of a wellness program. So we worked with Hyper Hippo to actually build a game. And we came up with a theme that is similar to SimCity. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I am. It is a game where you're building up an environment. It's an alternate reality game. So you earn game currency 
as you do actual physical activity or you take your health assessment or whatever it is your program is. And then you can spend it in the game to build up your plot of land. And um, people have had a great time with this. You know, you earn spirit points um, for some things. And with those points, you can build a koi pond or a reflecting pond in your yard. So you can do all these different pieces. And as each person builds up their plot of land, the community builds up as well. And then collectively, you can you can buy an open air farmer's market or a ski hill or something that the community might want to share. So we did this game. It was pretty early days. We do tend to do things sometimes a bit too early before the market's ready for it. But we did have a couple of pilots with it and people had a great time. At the time, the only downfall was it was a separate tool. They had to use a very specific gaming development environment. Mm -hmm. So everyone had to install something separate. It wasn't integrated. And I think that was that prohibited wide scale acceptance of it. But it's still something that was a great experiment and still something that we might be able to go back to if there's interest there. So from that, we learned a lot and we were able to write articles on gamification and how game mechanics compare to actually what we're doing in our general challenges and competitions and social networking part of wellness. Wow, it sounds like you guys really have been ahead of the curve on the development of the gamification concepts that you've developed over the years. That that was definitely, um, it was a really fun thing to do. Now, when it comes to gamification, I remember you writing about different types of game players. Tell me, what are the different types of game players found in workplace wellness? I think they have basically four different types of personalities when you're designing games. There's the treasure seekers, there's the explorers that like to dig for information and learn new things. There's the socializers who empathize with other players, other people, and want to help, nurturers. And then, of course, there's the people that want to just shoot things up. (laughs) (laughs) So it is people, it is natural to have these tendencies. So in workplace wellness, you're going to get all of those types. So basically, a wellness program has to keep that in mind and be able to cater to people that want to talk to others or those that want to compete and those that want to learn and do self-improvement. So it's just all kinds of types of people. So you target the different personalities as far as keeping them engaged. Correct. Correct. A good game designer will have an element that suits each one of those people in their games. That makes perfect sense. Right, right. Now, how can the wellness industry as a whole do a better job of catering to specific archetypes rather than a one-size-fits-all approach? This, too, is something that you hear a lot about. Um, You hear the buzzword personalization. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to have a personalized experience when they go into their wellness portal or when they talk to a coach, it's got to be very employee-centered type approach in order to be successful. And most popular games are like that. So we can use that same parallel within wellness. And we are working with a group who takes us in a different direction. We're looking for a group to pilot with, let me just say that. And they're using psychographics. Um, The company's name is called Patient Bond. 
and they've worked with a lot of patients and they've had phenomenal results with tailoring messaging to patients. And I don't know the stats offhand, but I believe in one case that they have had hospital readmissions decrease from the norm of 18% down into the low 1% or 2% just by messaging people based on their personality type. Psychographics is used a lot in marketing where they pigeonhole people into a certain category like balance seekers or willful endurers priority jugglers, self-achievers, or direction takers. And so if you are able to cater your message, and your message may simply be, take a health risk assessment, it's good for you. And if you tailor it to what drives those people based on their values, their personality, their beliefs, you're going to get way better results. Yes, it sounds like it. It sounds like you really have a good tie-in with your technology and the understanding of human behavior. Yeah, this is a great opportunity. So we're really looking forward to seeing it in action. We've seen these great statistics in healthcare, but I'm pretty sure we can parallel those in wellness too. It sounds like your company is really connected with the audience that you're trying to reach, and that's probably a great deal of credit to your success. So Regarding gamification and the industry, would you say there is a tie-in between gamification and wearables in engaging employees in wellness programs? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to the archetypes, mm-hmm. the more that you can offer in your programs, the more likely you're going to strike a chord in people. So Fitbit has done an excellent job in using a combination of wearables and gamification. If you look at their site, you know, they have the competition, they have the information, they have all of the things that you would expect if you're in, in the wellness industry gamification mode. So I think Yes, it does just give more options, and tying things together does help. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, speaking of wearables and Fitbit, there are those who say that wearables are just a passing fad. What will it take to keep wearables relevant and out of people's kitchen junk drawers? Well, I think we need a bit of a revolution. We need to do something with the data that we're getting. Lots of people are motivated by just knowing that they've made their steps for a day. So that helps. But I think the next step is starting to involve artificial intelligence and machine learning to do a little bit more. We need to be able to figure out things about our health that we currently can't. We need to, again, personalize the experience because everyone is different. They have different motivators. So the device and the data coming from it is going to have to address that. They need to give us reason to push on even though we're not succeeding. So going back to gamification, people need to feel like they're succeeding. So we could use some artificial intelligence to augment that success. And again, they need to give us meaning and purpose. So you do all these things. Great. You've had 10,000 steps. What does that mean? How will that help you? How will that help your family, depending on your personality type? So there is a lot more we can do with that data to bring it more into the game mechanics, if you know what I mean, and personalize it. Yes. And it's interesting because I'm wondering, as you're telling me about this, if both gamification and wearables have a role in moving people from solely goal-oriented, I can't wait till this is over kind of thing, say if it were a 
a run or some kind of physical workout into more of a space of enjoying the process for its own sake. That is interesting. I want to buy one of those. (laughs) As you mentioned the run, I think to myself, oh, if I could ever make this really enjoyable, that would be awesome. (laughs) Well, you know, I have to, I have to wonder if then that process of being able to transition people mentally somehow through these methods you're speaking about would help them to shift if they weren't already there from an extrinsic motivation to more of an intrinsic motivation. And if they could come to a point where they could enjoy the process itself. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's things like you saying that, that plant seeds in Uh-oh. our heads <laughs> of what, what can be done, because then you think, yeah. we need to turn it into a habit. Yes, right? you do, right? And we need to get addicted to it. We need yes. to flip it and look at it a completely different way. So it does. Yeah, you're right. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to figure out how to do that? (laughs) We're working with Margaret Moore, Ah. um, well coaches, who I've seen you interviewed her. Um, She is putting together a digital habits program on our platform. Excellent. um, Getting it ready for market. And Mm -hmm. we're pretty excited about it. So now I'm thinking about this. Hopefully she has a running program. <laughs> ah. Yeah, it would apply to a lot of things that people, you know, things that people th- feel they should be doing, but perhaps haven't yet made into that habit. Yes. Um, you know, my children ask me when I go to the gym, what is your goal? Or, you know, a friend might say, do you have a reunion coming up when you go to work out? And I tell them, my goal is to work out again tomorrow. Yeah, that's and- it. Every and day, that's they, the goal. They look surprised. Yeah, Why usually. Would you do that? <laughs> my, my goal is to love this. <laughs> yeah, and, and even if I don't, it's to show up again tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So is that yeah. the current uh, challenge that you're working on, what you've just mentioned? No. With Margaret? No. Okay. Uh, that is an opportunity we're working on. Yeah, ah. we've always got a lot of things on the go. So definitely. What are you um, working on now? Like that you would say is your biggest challenge focus? Well, going back to our discussion about wearables and Fitbits, okay. I think in order another way to keep them um, popular is to expand on them so that they become more than just the counting activity or counting heart rate. They need to tell us something that we can't figure out ourselves. I'm working with a group that is looking at our metabolic system through devices. So when you say, oh, I wish I could speed up my metabolism, or I wish I could eat like that person because they must have a very fast metabolism. (laughs) (laughs) How many times do we say that? We are looking at a way to provide that data to somebody about what their metabolism is doing with their food. So you simply have something that says, red, don't eat. You are currently storing fat. Or be very careful about what you're going to eat. Here are some suggestions that won't affect this. Or green, you're clear to eat. You know, you're in fat burning mode. So you won't put on any weight at this point. So that is really the the next big thing I think that's coming. Wow. Um, Core health will definitely be offering this kind of device. So you're you're working on a denialometer. <laughs> That's a good name. <laughs> no, um, 
eatability, we'll call it. <laughs> you, you, you can eat. You just have to be aware of some other factors of what you should eat and when you should eat and um, something that gives you advice on when it might be a safe time to eat. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's twofold because not only does it tell them when they have to deny themselves something, but it can also keep them from being in denial if they shouldn't eat something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or or eat this. Please eat this. Eat this, not instead. that. Yeah, that is but incredible technology. It is pretty exciting. Yeah, I know. I I'd love to do a comparison. If I eat this muffin, what happens to my system? If you eat that same muffin, what? How does that compare? And what are we doing the same? What are we doing different? What were all the factors? Like one day I might eat the muffin and have um, a spike and the next day I might eat a muffin and it might be fine. So, you know, we're looking at things like that and doing experiments with several different universities. Wow. Now that's really interesting because you would really have to be tied into an individual's specific metabolism because I know that with myself, for an example, I've gone all around the spectrum. I have been vegetarian. I have been vegan. Um, I am currently, I, I eat some animal products, but I don't have any dairy. But the reasons have been due to health conditions like dermatitis, for example, and, and so skin reactions to certain foods. Yes. So in doing that, I ended up reading several nutrition books and I found that they contradicted each other. So mm. some of them would say pretty much a, a, a plug for veganism. And then I read another book that said you have to balance everything out and use the food plate or pyramid or what have you. And then I read another book that said, get rid of all your carbs and all your sugar, but fats are good for you and animal products are definitely yeah. on the menu. And I thought, how on earth? I mean, you must have an incredible team and really have to plug into the individual to be able to know from person to person. For one person, maybe a certain fat's okay, but for another person, yeah. it's the muffin's it's okay, not. but not the fat. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's what we are starting to see. And wow. There, you know, you're right. Diets, there's been so many diets over the years. Do this, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah. But it's not been about, well, how does that person react? Mm-hmm. And we're not, we're not looking at the diet. The diet is irrelevant. It's what did you eat that impacted and here's your results, right? Based it's not a diet. Their it's metabolism. You. Yes, exactly. Sort of here's a- the result. So whatever happened, you know, did you exercise before? Yes. Did you exercise after? Did you have a good night's sleep? Are you stressed? Um, what did you eat? Like these are the factors, and yes. we're looking at, at the outcome. Here's the outcome. You can call it a diet, but you shouldn't eat that. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. Every time you eat that, look what happens. So the results. Is it a diet? Yeah. So it's the results that matter. Yes, and it it brings to mind another book that I have read, which initially I thought, you know, after I read it, I thought maybe this was just a, a passing fad or something. But after going around and reading all the other diet books. And settling on what works for me in particular, mm-hmm. I was surprised to return to this book and that it seemed to hold true. And it was a diet for your blood type, which oh, probably, I wonder if there's any validity to that. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but to tie into you know my specific system, oddly enough, the thing I ended up landing on was um, pretty much along with that guide for my blood type. I don't, I'm sure there's many, many other factors. Interesting. That is interesting. Maybe you could be a candidate for (laughs) one of our prototypes. 
<laughs> oh, fly me out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Tell Matt I have to go do some homework for you. Yeah, yeah. I want to eat all of this food and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, if you could get chocolate back on the menu. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yes. But well, it is definitely interesting. And one of the researchers that's working on it, he's publishing some research in the next couple of years, but he and his group have gotten diabetics off of all medications in about six weeks. That is some startling information, huh? It is startling, yes. Well, that's, yeah. that's very encouraging. Yes. There's some new stuff coming out for sure. Wow. Well, we'll be watching and listening over here. <laughs> Anne-Marie, I am so grateful for your time and fascinating conversation today. Thank um, you, Caroline. Absolutely. I, can you please tell our listeners how they can learn more about Core Health Technologies and how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Our website is corehealth.global, just to be different. We're always different. <laughs> um, so welcome to come to our site. We have a lot of blogs. And my email address are my initials, amk at corehealth.global. And I'd be happy to answer any questions or talk to people. And if people want to learn more about Core Health, just um, pop an email to info at corehealth.global. I always talk technical, you know, like very computer-based, but we do have phones too. So <laughs> just in case people prefer that, the phone number is on our website. Oh, very good. And, and I will be having show notes with the show so that people can um, have links to follow from our conversation so they don't have to worry about writing all of this down. Okay, perfect. That will be available. And this is wonderful. Thank you so very much. I hope that our conference in June is on your list and that I can get to meet you this year coming in 2018. I will have to do that. Maybe I'll bring one of these researchers. That would be terrific. What a privilege. Thanks to the viewers. And I'm just really pleased to be on your list of um, participants because it's a very dignified list, I must admit. Well, thank you. We enjoy very much being able to speak with such great minds in wellness and technology and knitting everything together. We're going to have to keep you on our list because it sounds like lots of interesting technology is going to be developed very soon. Yeah, I think it will. The next year or two will be quite, uh, like, oh, the whole industry will be changing quite a bit. We'll be watching. <laughs> this is incredible stuff. I definitely plan to speak with you again in the future. Great. That sounds good. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Thanks, Caroline. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the NWI Podcast. Don't forget, you can download the show notes at nwipodcast.org. We'll see you on the next episode. Be well.